You are listening to the Zen Nova Scotia podcast with talks by Cone Franz. These talks are made possible in part by generous donations from our listeners. To find out how to support and take part in our community, visit zennovascotia.com. I grew up in the 80s, and though I've never really researched this, I sense that I was part of the first batch of children uh, for whom self-esteem was a big question. I don't mean that my own self-esteem was in question. I mean that educators and parents suddenly were very concerned about self-esteem. It, it found its way into curricula. It found its way into a lot of discussions about why people made the choices that they made. And so when I was in high school, uh, you know, it, it was understood that people got into drugs because they had low self-esteem. And people um, uh, had premarital sex because they had low self-esteem. People dropped out of school because they had low self-esteem. It was the... the uh, the reason for everything that was happening. And the schools would try to address it, and parents eventually got on board and tried to address it. And out of that, we, we start to develop a, a cultural conversation around the prerequisites of our life, which I think is really interesting. And I bring this up for two reasons. One, because I feel that this conversation is starting to enter Buddhism, or at least modern Western Buddhism. And two, because the other day I was drinking some tea and there was something written on the little tag, you know, that, kind of, that hangs off of the, the tea bag. And what it said was, and I should have just brought it in, but it was essentially, it's impossible to love others if you don't first love yourself. I think that message comes to us in a lot of ways. And it informs a lot of industries that are really focused on the me proposition. Right? And we have to, I think we need to talk about this openly because in Buddhism, it's very easy for us to to kind of create our own version of this, right? There's a sense in Buddhism, not, not just a sense, but outright teachings that kind of say, if you don't get yourself together, then you're not of any use to anyone, right? So focus on you. Out there, what it looks like is, you know, you need to, uh, you need to spend more time at the spa, right? You need to sign up for another yoga class. Not necessarily because yoga is good for you, because, but because this is you time, right? And that you time is necessary for you to be the most you you that you can be, right? You need to invest to get something back. You need to invest in you. And, you know, last week we talked about normalization and and I feel that I've been part of this normalization because we see this everywhere. And most of the time, I don't find it so jarring. 
And for whatever reason, this cup of tea just bothered me. Telling me that I am incapable of loving someone unless I have gone through this process of learning to love myself. And, and in part, it hits me because I, I look at my children. Children don't first learn to love themselves. They learn to love and they learn to be loved. That's when the process is working. Later in their lives, when they become self-reflective, we can ask the question, do you love yourself? Knowing from the beginning that as Buddhists, it sounds like a funny question anyway. Right? But are you okay? You know, are you okay in your own skin? Do you have the confidence that you feel you need to move about in the world? And if not, then we can try to address that. But so often the way that we try to address it is by putting someone into a vacuum. And so this was the experience that I had in junior high and in high school. The way that you build self-esteem is to take away all possibility of failure. Mm -hmm. And then just pelt each other with positive affirmations. And when you build up this store of whatever it is, then you step out into the world and you're a functional person. And I think that I can look around at most of the people that I went to high school with. I think I could do a poll. And we would agree that it didn't quite go that way, right? You crash. I feel we are starting to see more and more that, you know, a little bit of pushback among educators as well, that if you want people to have confidence, you have to have them do something. And part of doing something is failing. You must fail to live. If the bodhisattva path is the frame of the way that we move in the world, there cannot be prerequisites for that path. Or else it will not happen. It's huge. We, we said the vows today. We're going to save all beings, end all delusion, enter all dharma gates, and embody the way of awakening. If we pause and ask ourselves what preparation we need to be able to accomplish that, <laughs> we will never take one step. In the same way that if I had waited until I was ready to have children, I would not have children. And I would never have children. <laughs> because the way that one becomes ready to have children is by taking care of kids. <laughs> For me, as, as the youngest of two kids, I wasn't, I wasn't going to have that knowledge. It's sink or swim. You know, we used to teach people to swim by throwing them in a lake. As a parent, I find that horrifying. <laughs> but on another level, I see that it worked for almost everyone. There's something to it. I have had many people in my lifetime come to me and say, I want to do this, but I'm not ready to do that. Right. Specifically in terms of the practice, they say, well, I want to come sit, but I'm not really ready to come sit. You know? So I'm sitting at home a little bit, 
You know, I'm going to sit five minutes a day, I'm going to sit 10 minutes a day, and I'm going to work up, I'm going to do a regimen the way that we learn everything is accomplished in life. Right? And when I get up to the level where it's appropriate for me to join you, then I will. Right? So just, just wait for me, you'll see me eventually. Right? That person does not come. One of my teachers, he's so strict, he meets people all the time who say, uh, sometime I really want to come sit at your temple. And he'll always say, there is no sometime. He'll say, if you don't come tomorrow, you won't come. Come tomorrow. And some of them come. <laughs> he scares them a little bit. Right? But he's right. Sometime is our worst fiction. When I think about the first time that I sat on a seat in front of people as the teacher and had to teach, Ready had nothing to do with that. And if I had been asked, do you feel ready to do this? Because if you don't, it's okay. It never would have happened. But there was a community and they wanted someone to teach. And someone said, go teach. And I sat there and I did it. It was horrible. But it also accomplished for me something that, you know, that might have taken years <laughs> if I had taken it up as a, uh, as a path of preparation. Mm -hmm. I could have uh, joined a public speaking group. Right? I could have studied up a little more. I could have stood in front of the mirror and given myself some positive affirmations. Right? And instead, I got thrown into a lake. We're almost at the new year. And some people embrace the idea of New Year's resolutions and some people don't. I'm drawn to New Year's resolutions. I, I like that feeling of, of momentum. I like that, that little bit of a kick. And what I want to offer is, as you look to the new year, as you look to the thing that you want to be the thing that you want to accomplish, the thing that you want to change. Be very careful in the way that you're framing that in your mind. Be careful that you're not laying out a path of preparation for a lake that you could simply jump into. Don't worry so much about baby steps. A step is a step is a step. For more information about Zen, our practice, and how you can support and take part in our community, please visit zennovascotia.com.